Long lay the world in sin and error pining. In the year 2020, we watched the news and we can't believe what the politicians overseas get up to. Sex and scandals, betrayal, backstabbing, corruption and cruelty. But 2,000 years ago, in the time of the first Christmas, it was the same thing except the battles were bloodier. And that's how the Roman Empire grew. They brutally conquered nation after nation and beat them into submission. And one of these nations was a country called Israel. Why is Israel important? Because God had sent word to many people over thousands of years through dreams and visions that out of Israel, a broken nation, a conquered nation, a nation that had been overcome by empire after empire, a nothing nation, out of Israel would come the Saviour, the one sent to save us all. I don't have time to go into all of these prophecies. There are hundreds of them. Go Google it. That a Saviour would come through Israel. But 2,000 years ago, if you asked anyone in Israel that, they would not have believed you. They must have felt so far away from salvation, so far away from hope. Because back then, under the Roman Empire, their country was not their own. They had been conquered. They had been enslaved. Their future was left in tatters. They had been robbed of their dreams. They had been left in despair. And their faith was on its last legs. Their places of worship had been taken over by merchants, by mercenaries. Their priests were power-hungry. They bowed down at the knee to kings and rulers and idols. This was the state of Israel before the first Christmas. And everything was hopeless. And you. No! This must be a mistake. We're worshipping God here. Your God. Your problem.
with you. You will soon give birth to a son. He will be the son of the Most High. The Holy Spirit will move in you. Don't be afraid. I am the Lord's servant. The Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. In the streets of Israel, there is fear. They are oppressed. They are a nation that is hurt, deeply hurt. And at that point, the angel Gabriel comes and finds Mary. The words of the angel Gabriel, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will rest upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. For nothing is impossible with God. Don't be afraid, said the angel to Mary. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. But couldn't the angel see? Couldn't he see that there was everything to be afraid of? Couldn't he see the, the soldiers everywhere? Couldn't he see a country that had been enslaved for years, for decades? Couldn't he see the evil kings, the evil rulers, the Caesars who didn't care if the people of Israel lived or died? Couldn't he see that Israel, the world, was in a mess? Just like today. I bring you back to 2020, and I know for many this year, 2020 has been a big mess. The worst year on record, the worst year on history, jobs, uh, economy in, in trouble, health. Uh, we have all our fears, our worries, and we try to look strong. We try to put on uh, a smile, and we try to get on with life. But underneath the facade, I don't know anyone who's not dealing with some degree of mess, of confusion, of hurt. This hurt, it is part of the human condition. And it's the same for me. Can I confess to you right now that, that um, in, in recent days, my, my spirit, my heart has is, is been in a mess. I am a pastor, but I am human. And I had an awful week, an awful week. Among other things, uh, someone I, I, I know well, uh, a very good person, she experienced a family tragedy, the unexpected death of a loved one, in, in, in the worst possible way. And if you know me by nature, I'm a problem solver. I try not to be emotional about things. I try to look beyond the emotions. I try to deal with the issue. But how do you solve the issue of death? Death is a problem we can never solve. It is final. It is inevitable. 
And I was overwhelmed by, by a, a very familiar feeling, that, that, that heaviness, that helplessness, how hopeless this all is. That life happens and death happens and it's impossible to break that cycle. But what if? What if it is possible? What if there is hope? For nothing is impossible with God. We talk about the inevitability of life and death. But look at the example of Mary, a baby even though she is a virgin. For nothing is impossible with God. If God can call forth new life out of nothing, what is impossible to God? So that reminder, don't be afraid, for we have a God for whom nothing is impossible. I was trying to find a, an example, an illustration of, 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 of the impossibility of the things that God makes possible. And I just heard this story this past week, so i just share it with you. There is a Singaporean that I know, she, she serves, she works in the refugee camps in, in the war-torn countries in Africa. And I just heard this story, she said because of COVID, you know, we think we have it bad in, in Singapore because of COVID, but even during the heart of the circuit breaker, we could still go to the supermarket. You know, we, we, we survived, right? But over there, she said because of COVID, they had no supplies, all the supply routes were cut off, all the borders were closed. They had no funds. No one was giving any money to the situation. And, and in particular, they had no more oil to cook food and no more soap to wash hands with. And if you know anything about dealing with COVID, soap is very important. We have to wash our hands, right? And she said at that very, at, the, at their darkest moment, out of nowhere, a 10-ton truck pulls up into that refugee camp. And the long story, cut short, is that a Malaysian businessman happened to own factories in that particular African country. Uh, and in that, part, in, the, in that Malaysian businessman's factories, they made two things. They made cooking oil and they made soap. And somehow, this businessman had been led by God, just send it to this particular camp, just when they had run out of cooking oil and soap. Nothing is impossible for God. That's just the most recent story I, I, I heard. I can tell you stories from my life, from other people's lives, about the things that we write off as impossible. But for God, nothing is impossible. And that's the story of that first Christmas, that no matter how messy, how bleak life looks, that there is always hope. In the mess starts a message. That message is hope amidst hopelessness. And through the words of the angel to Mary, hope was given a name. And it's a beautiful name. That name is Jesus. Christmas, the birth of Jesus, is the birth of hope. And so we sing a thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. And I know some of you here are weary. Maybe some of you who are watching this right now. Some of you have come looking for answers to your questions, healing for your hurt, relief in your suffering. In the Bible, God says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Those who seek God will find God. And that happened that first Christmas. You know, on that first Christmas, you saw the soldiers, you saw the Romans. There were many people who didn't care about God. But at the same time, there were many who were seeking, 
who were searching, who were looking for hope. They had been studying the words of God and they came looking for hope, just as many of us are looking for hope today. And so 2,000 years ago, a group of wise men, they came to Israel searching for hope, searching for the Saviour. Visitors from the east follow the star. The star of the prophecy. The prophecy of the Messiah? The Messiah. The The wisest of the wise. Tell me what they claim. They believe that a new king awaits them now in Judea. Father, we must send your soldiers to follow them. Until they find the man we seek. And raise their suspicions? Then they risk not finding this king at all. Invite them to dine with us. Your arrival is by the hand of Providence. For years I have studied the words of the prophets. Out of Bethlehem shall come a ruler who shall shepherd my people Israel. Your Excellency, I too have studied these words. I have waited a lifetime for the signs I now see. As have many. The star, the one that you have followed. Tell me, what does it mean? The prophecy speaks of a child. Heralded by the star, we have followed these many months. What do you mean, a child? Are you not here seeking a man? A man ready to proclaim himself Messiah? No. A child. A Messiah for the lowest of men to the highest of kings. We too have been waiting for God's King. For years. When you find him, please return to us so that we may come worship him as well. In the courts where they enjoy the finest of things, there is hate. A hate for this child, this Messiah, for the lowest of men to the highest of kings. It says in the Bible, During the time of King Herod, Magi, wise men from the east, came to Jerusalem and they asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. He called together all the chief priests and the teachers of the law and he asked them, Where was the Messiah to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then Herod called the Magi 
secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and he said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. And after they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose ahead of them, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Which are you? Wise men or skeptical king? Some are like the wise men. They have everything they need. They have wealth aplenty. They have intellect. But yet they know in their wisdom that they must search for the Savior. Then there are those like Herod. A king on this earth, he's so caught up in the chase for power, for wealth, that he is insecure. He's threatened by this word of another child who would be king. There are others who are skeptical. They refuse to believe that the Savior could come in the form of a child, the lowest of men of all places from unremarkable Israel. They expect something more, something more impressive, something revolutionary, a superhero, but a baby from Israel. And so we're disappointed when God doesn't fit our picture of what God, of what the Saviour should look like, as if infinite God should fit into man's very finite imagination. And then there are those who are not searching, who stop looking for hope, because we are just so beaten down by life that we refuse to allow ourselves to latch on to any hope. Because we know if we do so, we stand to be disappointed again. I was like that. I was so disappointed with God at one stage. I couldn't believe the way the world was, the way the world was going. Why, if I were God, things would be different around here. And every time I saw pain, and suffering in this world, especially if it was my own, I found the easiest scapegoat to blame it all on. It's easy to blame God because He's omnipresent. Whatever you're going through, He's there. And like Herod, I came to hate this idea of how God was doing things. And I asked the question, why is life so unfair? Why is this world such a mess? And God, if the world is such a mess, why won't you do something about it? You're God. Surely you can do something. And it was this question that made me leave the church 15, 20 years ago, whatever it was. It's a big question. And it's a question that I know a lot of us ask in some shape or form. If God is good, why is there evil in this world? If God is, 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 is omnipresent, omnipotent, why can't He do something about things? Allow me to break down this question, into a, to respond to it with a few questions. Um, you know what? This, this conversation could go on. It's a very deep and a profound question, and we could ask a lot about it, but let me just break it down into three questions in response to this one question. So if the question is, why doesn't God do something about the mess the world is in? First, we ask the question. We talk about root causes. Is it God's fault that the world is in such a mess? Is it God's fault that the world is in such a mess? And the simple answer is, no, it's not. How do you know this? You know it's not the way the world... The world is not the way God intended it to be when He created it. 
How do we know? We look at the blueprint. We go back right at the start of the Bible where it talks about a paradise, a garden of Eden. That was the blueprint. That was the intent for how the world was supposed to be. The first man, the first woman, the first you and I were introduced not into this mess, but into perfection, into a perfect garden of Eden. And it was overflowing with everything that they would ever need. It was beautiful. It was perfect. So it stands to follow, stands to reason that we ask the follow-up question. So if God didn't create the world in such a way, then what caused the mess? Why is the world in the state that it's in? Let let me just address this one with a a bit of a, a visual metaphor to answer this question. I want you to just picture in your mind right now the most untouched, pristine part of the world, untouched by man. So maybe in your mind, when I say that, maybe you have a picture of, of a pristine white tropical beach stretching on for miles and miles and miles. Or maybe you've got a lush tropical forest as that picture in your head. Introduce man into that picture. Put a man in that picture. I know we're all dreaming of holidays right now, and for a moment, that picture looks like the perfect holiday. You're standing there alone on a perfect beach. But after a while, you know what man does, right? Give man enough space. After a while, he starts to chop down trees. He starts to build things here and there, and the rubbish and the debris pile up. And before long, the perfect paradise is paradise lost. So we ask the question, did the creator of the land create the mess. Did he cause that mess? No, he didn't. So just as we introduce pollution into our environment to destroy what was perfect, it's a metaphor. We also introduce a moral, a spiritual pollution into our lives. Our dirty thoughts, our anger, our jealousy, uh, crime, anything that pricks the conscience. There's a word for this in, in the church. We call this sin. Sin is the filth. It is the worst of the human condition. So if the world is in such a mess, should we blame God for it when it is man who introduces, who commits that sin? And so you say, okay, even if God didn't cause it, even if that's not what He intended it to be, why can't God do something about it? He's God! And I think that's a great question. This is the question that really made me leave the church in my teenage years. I used to say, uh, with, with its idealism, right? As a young person, you say, look at all the evil in this world. Look at all the unfairness, the, the bias in this world. God, why aren't you doing something about it? So because of this question, I left the church. I refused to believe that a good God would allow such evil to happen. I refused to believe that a loving God could see the pain that I was in and not do anything about it. But much later on, I realized I was wrong. God did do something about it. See, if God really wanted to do something about the mess of the world, the first thing He should do is He should get rid of us. Maybe I don't speak for you, I'll just speak for myself. He should have gotten rid of me. Because frankly, I would have deserved it. I know myself well. I'm wretched. I'm horrible. I'm a mess. I come up here on stage and I try to say the good and the nice things, but sometimes the thoughts that I think and the things that I do privately when I think no one's looking, I wouldn't have deserved anything but punishment. So if God wants to clean up the mess of this world, 
he should start with me. But he's God. And that's not how he chose to do it. Instead, he did something else, something that I completely did not deserve. God, who is just, he could have acted in the harshest of justice, but instead, he chose to act in mercy, in love. God saw me, this wayward child, full of error, full of sin, and he said, Edric, my son, my child, you will never be able to bear the full weight of justice, punishment that is due your sin, your wrongdoing. So what God said was, here's what I'm going to do. I have another son, my firstborn son. I'm going to send him instead. And Edric, he's going to take your punishment in your place. Thank <laughs> you. 
King of his people. What is his name? Jesus. His name is Jesus. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. That baby in a manger, his name is Jesus. Did Jesus drive the Romans out from Israel? No, he didn't. Did Jesus snatch the crown off the head of King Herod? No, Jesus wasn't interested. Did Jesus offer more wealth and riches to the wise men from afar? No, they didn't need it. Because none of that is important. Politics, power, possessions, these things come and these things go. These things will pass. Your body too, it will age. And at some point, it will pass away. Fame and fortune can't be brought into the afterlife, although many try to do so. After you die in the flesh, what remains? The soul. Your spirit. Somewhere deep within you. The reason Jesus was given to earth a Christmas gift from our Father was to hold the door open so that your soul can have a place in heaven for all eternity. This is the meaning of Christmas. Jesus was the Son of God. He was sent to be born on this earth in the flesh, a day that we now celebrate as Christmas. 
so that we could live, so that he could live and one day take his place on the cross as a sacrifice for our sin. And I know that that death on the cross stuff, it sounds gruesome, it sounds gory, but trust me, it's good news. It's the best possible news. This gift of Jesus, we reflect it now every year in the presents that we give each other at Christmas time. You know why we do that? It's our little way of remembering how God gave us His Son, Jesus, on Christmas Day. Long lay the world in sin and error, pining until He appeared. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. A thrill of hope, a new and glorious morn, a baby boy who would be our saviour. I know a thing or two about babies. My, my wife and I, we have had uh, four babies. Before, uh, believe it or not, before we had the first baby, I really didn't want to have kids. I just didn't care for children at all. I got, you know, no chemistry, no feeling. In fact, for as long as I was growing up, I don't ever remember playing with a younger kid. And honestly, the only reason I ended up having the, the four children uh, with my wife was I kind of thought it would be kind of mean to deprive my wife of this uh, lifelong dream of being a mother. By the way, if my kids are listening to this now, now I love you, okay? Back then, I just wasn't thinking about it, right? You know what, frankly, the thought of, of bringing a child into this, this horrible, this, this hurtful, this hateful world, I spent so many years not, not wanting to be in this world myself. Why would I want to bring a new life into it? Why would I want to do that to a poor, innocent baby? You know, accumulated in me over a lifetime was uh, so much hurt, so much hate. I don't know if that's just my experience. I don't know if as I say that, there's someone here who understands what I'm saying. I don't know if there's someone here who everyone around you thinks, you know, this person's got it put together. He, she's okay, right? Maybe your parents think you're okay, but you know you're not. That's how I was feeling. I was so hurt by all the disappointments I faced growing up. Why is the world so unfair? Why is there evil in this world? Why do good things happen to others but not to me. And all of this hurt eventually manifests into hate. I hated the way things were. I hated uh, being at home. I hated who I was for a season. As I said earlier, I even hated God and everything He stood for. Some of you have heard me share this story before. I was so full of hurt. I was so full of hate that I, I couldn't bear it anymore. I just wanted to end it all. I couldn't fix the world, so I thought the next best thing is I could leave it. And I, I, I researched. Google is a dangerous thing. I researched all the possible ways to get that done. And I must have thought about it so much for so many years that, that somehow my soul must have been subconsciously prepared for it. Because one day, I was in my early 20s, one day I suddenly woke up and I found myself not in bed, but I found myself sitting on the ledge of the 13th floor of the HDB block near my home. And when I say sitting on the ledge, I mean my legs were hanging over the ledge. And if I looked down, I could see pavement 13 stories below. I can't tell you how I got there. I must have subconsciously walked there. 
All I know is that when I woke up, there I was, my legs hanging over the edge and my face covered in tears. There were 25 years or however long I had lived, 25 years of tears that I cried that day. I, I sat there for 10, 20, 30 minutes and I don't think for a second I stopped crying. I was done. I wanted out. All the hurt, all the hate, I couldn't take it anymore. Everything in me wanted to get it over with. It would have been a lot easier. I don't know if someone here knows that feeling. But you know, there's a verse in the Bible from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. It says, God has set eternity in the hearts of men. And at that moment, something in me reminded me that the temptation is here in the moment, in the flesh, on that ledge. But eternity awaited. And was I ready for eternity? Could I contend with eternity? if I gave in to that impulse, to that temptation. Many minutes, many tears later, eventually, I got off the ledge, the, the right way, the, the long way, not the fast way, the slow way down. And I believe I walked down that 13 flights of stairs and I began my journey home. My journey was my search if I was going to live and have to deal with eternity, if I was going to have to make sense of everything that was going on, of, of God and the choices I couldn't understand He was making, the least I could have done was search, was look for meaning, for hope. Some of you have read the headlines, this coming Monday there's going to be an alignment of Jupiter and Saturn in the skies and there's going to be a Christmas star up on, on, on Monday night. A big star, just like that big star that the wise men followed that first Christmas. That was what I was looking for. That star that would point me to hope. And so I started the search. I started to read the Bible and I decided not to be skeptical about it. I decided I'm going to listen, God. I'm just going to listen. If you have put this eternity, this sense of who you are in me, the least I can do is I can give you the time of day to hear what you have to say. Not like Herod with, with, with skeptical, with, with eyes of hatred, but with searching eyes, with an open mind, with an open heart. And the most amazing thing happened to me. I was born, we're all born into sin. But I grew up with so much hurt and so much hate in me. I was the most unpleasant son, the most unlikable guy. I was the most angry person, the most skeptical, the most cynical. And God took that. Somewhere in that search for hope, I went looking for Him and I realized all along He'd been looking for me. And when I found Him, when I met Him, 
See, I'm a father. My child comes back to me, I'm going to let them know I told you so. I'm going to let them know you should have listened to me in the first place. That's not how Father God thinks. It's a good thing I'm not God after all, but God is so much more loving, so much more merciful. He didn't come and He didn't heap more guilt and shame on me. There is no condemnation, He said. You know what He gave me? He forgave me. And I realized the love of the Father is unconditional. It is merciful. It is the purest, the fullest forgiveness. Remember that question I asked? God, if this world is such a mess, why aren't you doing something about it? And I looked and I thought He wasn't doing anything about it. But now I know that He is doing something about this wretched earth. And what He did, because He's God, is the best possible thing. What He did about this mess of this world is He gave us His Son. In His Son, we have forgiveness. In His Son, through His Son, Father God says, there's nothing that can come between us, the Created, and He, our Creator. That's what the birth of Jesus on Christmas is all about. It opens a door to forgiveness. Forgiveness means it doesn't matter what I did wrong before. Forgiveness means it doesn't matter what you have done wrong before. I don't know what you think about yourself. I look at myself and I don't know why I deserve to be forgiven. But what I learned, what I heard from God, what I know and I understand from the first Christmas and the undeserved, unconditional gift from our Father God of Jesus is that if only we look to Jesus, we can be forgiven, we can be reconciled with our Father God, we can walk away from the past, from all of our hurt, from all of our hate, and we can walk into the fullness of the marvellous light, the glorious plans that God has for each and every one of us. Isn't that amazing? Six, seven billion people on this world. I don't know how many billion that have come and gone before. And each of us, for each of us, God has, 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 has prepared for us a room in His home. God has a special place in His heart for each and every one of us. He knows the number of hairs on your head. In every single one of your torments, your episodes, the experiences you've gone through, your hurts, I promise you, rewind that story of your life and you will see Jesus right there, grieving in your grief, mourning in your mourning, and inviting you. Receive His peace. Receive His love. Jesus is God's way of saying, don't stay in that bad place. There's no need to. There is hope because I love you. Back to my first child. His name is Elijah. The day I held my own baby for the first time, 
I understood. You, you know, I said, I, I, why would I want to introduce a child into this world so full of hurt and hate? But when I had my own child, I realized the child represents hope. Something new, something wonderful. Those of us who are parents, you can picture it. The dreams you have for your child, the endless possibilities that they can surpass the parent, that they can make a difference to the world. This is a televised, this is a live stream service. Give me a moment while I speak to my children. Elijah, Aaron, Joshua, and Julia. If only you knew how much daddy loves you. How daddy only wants the best for you. How daddy wants you to dream big dreams and I want you to soar. This is the same emotion that Father God has for each and every one of us right now. Those of us who are parents, you understand you only want the best for your children. Imagine Father God infinitely so that emotion poured out so overwhelmingly that He had to give His best for you. And His best was Jesus, His firstborn. So when I was saying, God, why can't you do something about it? God did something. He gave His Son, Jesus. He would die for your sins. That you don't spend eternity separate from Father God. He wants you to come back into His house, into His home, and into His arms. Father God sees us the same way that I might be seeing my children. The hurts in our life that we have experienced, don't misattribute them to Him. Those hurts, they don't come from God. The suffering, it can't come from God. It's the opposite. God wants us, He wants to give us a way out of our suffering. He wants to give us a way out of our condemnation to help us to see light in the darkness. The gift of baby Jesus, that Christmas gift, that first Christmas, is the gift of hope. And if there's someone here who is full of hurt, if there's someone here who is full of hate, maybe today is the day you find hope. On Christmas, hope sprang eternal. That's what Jesus is about. So if there's someone here who's full of hurt, full of hate, if there's someone here who's searching for hope, you are in the right place. Jesus is here. 
Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted. Maybe that's you. Jesus came to set the captives free from whatever prison you're in. Jesus came to make the lame to walk again, to help the blind to see. Jesus is hope. And if you are in need of hope, if you want to experience the love of God through His Son, Jesus Christ, why not make today the day that you respond to His invitation? Why not make today the day that you meet Jesus?